Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 4, and I'll share that with you now. We're starting in verse 18 and going through verse 25. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him as righteousness, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We thank the Lord for the blessing of these words, and let us be in an attitude of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the message that you give us in your word, and we just cling to that and read that and take it into our hearts. And as we do so, we just prepare ourselves and and again open our hearts to receive the message that you have given to Pastor Keith to share with us today. We know and pray that he will speak boldly and and courageously and just know that the message will be one that comes clearly from you. And so, Lord, prepare us to receive that and to be your vessels as we listen and take in his message. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Well, we are moving through this sermon series, uh, Christian Offers There, dot, dot, dot. We've talked about prayers. We've talked about presents. We've talked about gifts. And now we're moving into talking about witness. Now, when we talk about witness, I think a lot of people who've been in church for a while can, can understand the idea of we have to, you know, witness to other people. We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to live our lives in such a way that other people know who God is. And, and we're going to talk about that. But as we were putting this together, I thought it would be important to talk about why we should witness to ourselves. Because uh, for many of us, that becomes something that, you know, is a difficult thing but important thing to do. Now, let's just talk for a second. How many of you stand in front of the mirror and, and tell yourself stuff? Don't raise your hand because they'll take you away like in, you know, guys with white coats and waiting outside. But, and, I, and I would never do anything like that, okay? But the idea of having some time just to be sure in your own heart of what you have going on because life can get tough sometimes and, and many times we can, you know, forget who we are and what's going on. And that's why I wanted to, to grab this text from, from uh, Romans that where Paul's talking about Abraham because what I think is important about this is he's talking about how Abraham was a guy who God spoke to and made a great promise to him. But just like with Abraham, it can be the same with us. There can be a lot of time that will pass between when a promise is made and when a promise is kept. 
And, and for Abraham, there were many, many years between the time where God promised Abraham, you will become a great nation, and, and then the time where that actually happened. Now, here's what's interesting about that time is what do you do in the middle of that? You know, there, there are times in our lives where we can have a promise made to us, but yet there's a long gap between when it's fulfilled, and, and the time in the middle can sometimes get a little dicey. Certainly with Abraham, it, it did. And, and, you know, this is a guy who, who, when God came to him, gave him a very specific thing to do. He said, get up and go and basically uh, believe in me. And, and if you recall some of the stories about Abraham, he was a human being. He did not handle things perfectly. There were times when, when he behaved in ways that I think we would, we would call despicable. I mean, there was the time when, when Abraham went down to Egypt to escape, uh, and, and Pharaoh sees his wife Sarah and thinks she's beautiful and, and says, hey, who's that? And Abraham, rather than going, well, she's my wife. You better stay away from her. says, oh, um, her? Yeah, she's my sister. Uh, you can have her. And Pharaoh takes her into his palace. Now, that's not in the children's illustrated Bible. I don't think that's painted upstairs in the Sunday school rooms on the murals. You know, there was the time where, where Abraham, who was promised to become a great nation, with his wife Sarah, who promised to give her a son, he, he, they, they struggled in that in-between time. They, they, they lacked that faith for a moment. And, and Abraham went and had a child with one of Sarah's servants. You see, a lot of things can happen in the in-between time when you're not sure. But one thing that was credited to Abraham was, was his belief in God ultimately, that God would do what he would say he would do. He didn't do it perfectly all the time, which I think is a, a good thing for the rest of us. But what's interesting is that Paul says that this belief in God was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I'm going to tell you just a, a personal story here. I probably won't be able to tell this at all the services, and you'll understand why in a moment. But uh, yesterday, my family and I, we, we traveled back to the town we moved here from, which is Wilton, and we, we, we had some business to, t- to take care of there, and we had our kids with us, and we were driving into town. And my daughter, Devin, who's, who's 15, she's a freshman at, at Linmar, we're, we're driving into town, and she says to us, I can't believe we used to live here. Now... If anybody from Wilton is watching this, it, it wasn't bad. But, but uh, it wasn't so much that, that that was a remarkable statement in and of itself, unless you would have seen my daughter in the first probably two or three months that we lived here. You see, when we first moved here, and it hasn't even been a year yet that we've lived here, she used, this is a girl who, who would go into her room and basically cry herself to sleep every night. And she would come into the house, she would go, and she would be on her phone texting all of her friends, and, this, and she missed her friends in her old town and her old school terribly. And I remember her saying to me one day, Dad, I would do anything if we could just move back. I'd do anything. I, I, I like the church. I like the people. But I just miss my friends. I miss home. And I can, I can relate to that. I mean, can you relate to that? I moved around a lot when I was a kid. I understand what that, what that looks like. And, 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 and yet... Here she was yesterday with this different, complete different transformation of attitude. And, and I've been able to see this transformation, of course. And I, I drive her to school in the mornings, which any of you that drive teenage girls to school in the mornings, you know, is, is different, you know. So, so, but in between those little, you know, kind of attitude moments or whatever I'll call them, 
and she's a great kid, but she'll say things to me like, oh, I love it here. This is the greatest. I, 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 I'm so glad that we live in Marion. I love the church. I love my friends. I love everything about it. And it's like such a transformation. And you know what I have to do as a dad? It's my job, right? Four words. I told you so, right? <laughs> All you have to do is just trust in dad and everything will be fine. And of course, I like to take that a step further, right? And the things that we're kind of wrestling and struggling through right now as parents and, and, and child, I'll, I'll take that example and I'll throw it at her and she, she has to learn her lesson, right? You know, Devin, how you complain to me that you're not allowed to have a boyfriend yet? You know, you just got to trust me, right? This is for your own good, I, you know. And, and just like you didn't believe that this would be the best for you, you got to believe it. And shut up, Dad, you know. But seriously, there's a gap, isn't there, between the promises of God sometimes and the promises being fulfilled. And, and I don't know what God's promised you in your life. And I don't know what you're waiting on God for. And I don't know what your in-between time looks like. But I want to assure you today that just as we read in Romans, that God has the ability to keep his promises. And he does. Now, here's the hard truth that some of you need to hear now. Because some of you are in a place where you're saying, man, you know what? God has not kept his promise to me. Some of those promises will not be fulfilled in your lifetime. Some of those promises you will not get to see. Are you still okay? Can you still believe? Now, as you go through that process, this is why it's important to witness to yourself. Because when life gets hard and things are difficult, as believers, we have to have something keep us going. And that's why before we can go out into the world and and spread Christ to others, we have to be sure that he's right where he belongs in our hearts. And that our faith is strong. So there, there's two reasons why I think it's, it's important to know. And the first one is this, because faith in God brings power because it pleases God. See, the book of Hebrews tells us that there's impo- it's impossible to please God without faith. We have to have faith. No matter all the good works that we do, no matter all the great things that we give to you, no matter what's going on in our lives, if those things aren't attached to faith in God and his promises, then the Bible says that they're not pleasing to God. You see, what God is after in us, and I think this is so significant, is this undeniable belief that he will take care of us and he will accomplish the work that he set out to do. Notice when Paul makes this example of Abraham, He says, this is all it takes, is this belief. You've got to have that. And the second reason is because the work of God leads us into difficult times. If you're going to be going out into the world and witnessing to the world, if you're going to get your hands dirty, so to speak, with Christian witness in the world, if you're going to go out and and participate in missions and learn about things like human trafficking and and, and go hand boxes to kids if if the Lord calls you to do that or, or make offerings or do whatever, if you're going to get into that, it's going to be tough. If you're going to be the kind of person who doesn't just warm a pew on Sunday mornings from time to time, but a person who actually takes seriously the things of God, and you want to get out into the world and live your faith, it's going to be difficult. So it's important in those difficult times to remember what God has promised us. There's a really cool verse, it's in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that helps us sort of go through this evaluative process. And it says this, Paul writes, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, 
you fail the test. Now, what is this test? You know, volumes are probably written about this, but, you know, I think the idea is simply this. We are to judge ourselves. Now, I know people will say, well, Christians are too judgmental. Well, you know what? I think sometimes we do need to be judgmental, but not judgmental about what the unsaved world is doing or about what our neighbor is up to or about this or that. We need to be judgmental about what's going on in our own hearts. So we need to have this process by which we look at ourselves and say, am I really in the faith? Do God's promises really matter to me? Examine ourselves. Now, here's the tough thing about examining yourself. You always cut yourself some slack, don't you? When you look at your own life and you see your weaknesses, you see your sin, you see your frailty. Oh, well, yeah, well, I'm going through a hard time or I'm only human or whatever. So sometimes it's helpful to have other people to uh, participate in that process that you love and trust and, and, and uh, you know, believe in. But this whole idea of checking yourself, how am I doing? Is Christ Jesus in me? You know, when I was in high school, I, I was on the wrestling team. And you'll hear me tell embarrassing stories about that from time to time in my time here. But one of, the, one of the things that we used to do that I found very uh, humiliating and deplorable on my coach's part was he would sometimes ask us to come into his office like the week after our, our matches, and we'd have to watch them on a videotape with him sitting right there. Now, if you were a star athlete, I'm sure that was a great exercise. I'm sure you walked in, and there was red carpet laid out for you, and music playing, and, and snacks, and all this kind of stuff. People and probably get the cheerleaders in there, you know. But for me, it wasn't the case. I remember one particular time I was asked to come in to see the, the coach and watch him. And I was excited because I'd actually won the week before. And I thought, all right, he's going to give me like, you know, some attaboys or something. Well, we sat down and usually those, those you know, encounters went like something for this. I'll, I'll pretend to be my coach and you can imagine. We're watching this TV, right? Now, it, it wasn't like a big flat screen TV like we have today. It was, this was old school, right? This is like 1991, Okay, you got, you know, the little black and white television rolling over like that, and we're sitting there in coach's office, and i am be coach, and the coach sitting here, and we watch this, and he just go, just, you know, whack me upside the head. How could you do that? We've gone over that a hundred times. Come on, Nestor, when are you going to figure that out? You know, and, and, and so for me, it was kind of like one of those experiences, but what, what was helpful was we could examine exactly what you were doing wrong in the presence of someone else who had a greater perspective to see what you need to work on, right? If you just leave it to me to try to figure out what's going on down there, I'm like, oh, I don't know. His head is, you know, just crashed up against mine, and, you know, he's way bigger than me. And then he would remind me that we weighed in the same weight the, the day of. I'm like, oh, well, can't use that one, you know? Sometimes we need examination from outside sources, but the whole idea was if you never ask yourself, never check yourself to see how you're doing, you're never going to grow. Now, that's true in everything, isn't it? Every one of you probably that has a job has a, a period of evaluation, a place where, where you come before your superiors and they say, here's your performance, what are you doing? You know, we have that here at the church. And one of the things that's, that's, that seems to always go along with that, and I don't know if that came from the cor- corporate world or whatever, but they always make you fill out your own evaluation first. I hate doing that. Because if you say, oh, I'm doing awesome, you sound like a jerk. And if I say, oh, I stink at that, you're afraid that they're going to find out about that, right? Oh, really? We didn't know. Oh, yeah, it's really bad. Oh, wait, no. You're in trouble. But evaluating yourself in the faith is super important because you need to witness to yourself so that you can know that God's alive in you. So how in the world do we as Christians do that? What's this test that Paul is talking about? And how do we take it? Well, Volumes are probably written on that somewhere, but I'm just going to give you three 
three ideas that I think can, can help us. And they're very, very simple. The first one is, is basically this. Do I keep Christ's commands? Do I keep his commands? In, in John chapter 14, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I mean, let's sometimes keep it as simple as that. Do we do what Jesus says? Do we say he's our Lord? Do we go to church and profess faith in Christ, but then not do what he says? I mean, that's the basic understanding of what it means to to love and serve God, is to obey the teachings of Christ. And and many times I find that, that we fail here. You know, there's a lot of times where we say, oh, well, I love what Jesus says here. I want to do that. I love the part where it says that he forgives my sin, but I hate the part where it says that I have to love my enemy. I don't want to do that. I I love the part where, where Jesus says, let the little children come to me, but I hate the part where it says that I need to give of myself. I love the part where Jesus dies on a cross for my sin, But I hate the part where it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, if we say he's our Lord, and we say we love him, but we don't obey his teachings, then we've made ourselves into into liars, really. We've, We've misunderstood. We haven't connected that. So do we keep his commands? Now, I know that none of us keep his commands perfectly. I know that all of us struggle with certain things and, 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 and are convicted by certain things. But let me tell you something. There's a difference between struggling with something and just rebelling against it. There's a difference between saying, oh, you know what? Jesus says I, that, that if I, I shouldn't commit murder, but if I get angry with someone, I've committed the sin of murder. There's a difference between saying, oh, I'm struggling with anger. I'm working on that and saying, well, I don't really care, Pastor. You just don't know my life. God's not going to tell me what to do. We've got to keep his commands. Second thing is this, and I probably should have put this one first, but it is where it is. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in Jesus? Now, look at this scripture from John chapter 6. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000 the first time. The Jews come to him and they say, what must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, that's a piece of cake. I mean, Jesus was telling this to people who were used to doing all sorts of religious work. Jesus is telling this to people who had to wash their hands a certain way so the water would drip down, and they had to keep all these ceremonial rules, and they had to do all of these different things. And and, and Jesus is, is, is... speaking to people who don't understand peace in their religious life. And they say, tell us what to do. And he, and he responds by saying, believe? I mean, that has to sound either really, really easy or really, really misguided. But I don't think it is. See, I think when you really consider it, when you really think about it, and this is what Paul was getting at in Romans, Belief in Jesus, ultimately, is not just some sort of intellectual assent that he existed. Belief in Jesus is something where, where and, and Jesus talks about this a little bit later in this text, about how you have to take 
him into yourself. Where he, this is where he talks about eating, and, eating his flesh and drinking his blood and freaking everybody out. Read John 6 sometime. Belief in Jesus is about bringing him into who you are. About complete obedience, complete trust, complete reliance upon Jesus. And you have to ask yourself, do you really, truly have that kind of belief? Or do you just assent intellectually that he existed? You see, when God came to Abraham, and, and, and Paul quotes this, he didn't bring Abraham the Ten Commandments. Remember, that was Moses, right? That's later. He, he didn't bring Abraham a, 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 a giant book of, of doctrines to understand and memorize. He didn't even bring Abraham this, this code of conduct or all this stuff. He said this, this is my promise, believe it. He gave him a promise. And, and Paul, writing to these new Christians who were struggling with their dark times, who were struggling with their promise kept and, and their promise being made in their in-between time, he was writing to these people who understood what it meant to have to go through all of this religious work. He said to them, look, this is what made Abraham righteous. It was his unshakable faith in God, his belief that God would do what God said God would do. And I think that could be the same thing for us here today. Many of you feel as though God is lacking in his ability to deliver on the promises that he's made. Some of us feel like God has forgotten about us. Some of us feel like, like the promises of God are for other people because for some reason we're not good enough and we try as hard as we can to come to Jesus and say, tell me what I got to do so that I can be on the A team. Tell me what I got to do so that I can understand your promises or that I can live in them. And, and is this my fault? What's going on, God? And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying and what God is saying, all of it together is saying no, no. You don't have to work for it. You just have to believe it. Jesus has already worked for it. You've got to be patient, yes. You've got to be faithful, yes. But you've got to believe. Do you believe in Jesus? Thirdly, your little test, is the Holy Spirit transforming my life? Now, we're good Methodists, right? So we understand what, we understand what this is about. The, the, the good religious word for this process is sanctification, right? That's, that means, and John Wesley talked a lot about this, that's the process by which we become more like Jesus, okay? And, and that's the way that our lives change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'd, I'd ask you to look at your life and, and say, is the Holy Spirit changing me? Am I different because of my faith in God? This, this joy that I'm supposed to have, is it real? This new life that Christ has given me. Am I different or am I just like everybody else who has a hobby? Except for my hobby is Jesus. And I get excited about it sometimes. And other times, you know, it gets put off. Is the Holy Spirit transforming your life? If I went to your home and asked those who live with you, what would they say? Would they give testimony to that? Look what Romans says. Paul writes this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. You see, this idea is that God 
conforms us so that we become more like Jesus. The longer we live with God, the longer we love God, the more we should look like Him. The more our lives should reflect Him. And I ask you not to judge another person, to judge yourself. Don't look at your wife or husband and go, see, do the dishes. Or, see, quit complaining all the time. Look at yourself and say, where is God transforming me? Because if you have faith and you obey, it will happen. So that's kind of the test that we take. How y'all doing? All right? Anybody want to come up here and share? Probably not. It's tough, isn't it? Because if you're like me, you look at that and you go, ooh, man, I got some work to do. Yeah, my, my belief is there most of the time, but sometimes I freak out and try to take matters into my own hands, right? Or, yeah, I love Jesus, but some of his commands are hard for me to accept. Or, yeah, you know, I think the Holy Spirit is transforming me a lot in certain areas, but in other areas, it seems like I'm lacking. What's going on here? So what are we to do? How do we witness to ourselves? How do we really take this thing through? I'm just going to give you three little chunks here to kick around. First one is, is by Scripture. Now, now, what I thought about when I, when I was writing this was that this is something that our Lord went through, you know? This is something that Jesus went through when he was taken by the devil into the wilderness to be tempted, or taken by the Holy Spirit, rather, by the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's an interesting idea right there. That'll preach. The Holy Spirit takes him to be tempted into the desert. Now, think about this. Every time that Jesus is tempted by the devil, what does the devil say? If you are the Son of Man, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of Man, then throw yourself from the top of, of the temple and, 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 and angels will take care of you. The devil is always trying to get Jesus to question the promises of God in his life as if that were possible. The devil is always trying to get Jesus to doubt whom he belongs to and who he is. <laughs> and every time the way Jesus responds is just quote scripture that talks about the truth of God. And I want to tell you, you want to learn to do this in your own life, you want to learn to come against those negative attitudes that you have or that, that spirit of, of critical nature in your heart, those things that cause you to doubt God's faithfulness in your life, find scriptures, just like the one I read from Romans chapter 8, that reinforce the truth of God in your life. <clears throat> when you're struggling, go to the Word of God. It's chock full of, of, of verses that help remind us what the truth is. We also need to approach this through prayer. We, we need to, to, to witness to ourselves in, in prayer and asking God to reveal that to us. Lord, help me. This is what I'm struggling in, God. This is where I am. And, and God, I need to be on my face before you every day so that I can have that strength. Give me the strength. Ask God. Be real with him. Say, God, I, I, I'm wrestling with whether these promises are being fulfilled. I'm wrestling with whether I'm in the faith. Give me Give me some encouragement. And then thirdly, and I find this one to be most important, because we're humans, because we struggle, because we haven't got it all figured out, the third one is this, through repentance. Repentance is, is really ultimately the key. Because as we struggle, as we fail, as we, as we fall apart, we're people who come before the Lord in humility and say, God, I blew it again. 
We come before our family members and say, man, you know what, I'm not living a very transformed life right now. Can you please forgive me? We, we come before ourselves and we say, man, I just, I need to get right with God. You know that Jesus promises, I read this to the kids on Wednesday night, that he, whoever comes to God, God will never cast out. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, no matter the situation or the struggle, if you come to God, he will not look at you and say, sorry, you fail, go away. He will say, come to me. And I'll clean you up. I'll get you right again. And I'll reassure you of those promises. But that does not happen without repentance. Now, repentance is not, well, gee, I guess I'm human. I'm sorry. Cut me some slack. Repentance is changing the way that you think about your sin. Repentance is going from a place where you excuse it and you just allow it and you tolerate it to hating it and turning from it completely. That's repentance. Repentance is not, well, you know what? I just had a bad day. Deal with it. Repentance is is, is God, I hate this in me. Please take it from me and turning from it. And when we repent, we recognize God's faithfulness. Now, ultimately we recognize that witnessing to ourselves is really a losing battle because we don't need ourselves, we need the Holy Spirit. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is ultimately how we can have this faith and assurance. It's understanding that we belong to Jesus and that he's promised that no one shall snatch us out of his hand and remembering his words about us. I'm going to share one more scripture with you and we'll get to Mike. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you catch some of these verses I'm throwing at you this morning? How they talk about that God planned this out beforehand? The Romans one about being predestined and this one about, about that we've been created before God who did these things in advance. See, here's what I want us to remember. That all of this work, this salvation, this fulfillment... This is the work of God. Our salvation is a gift given to us by God that we did not earn. It's given to us by grace. So ultimately, the way that we have faith is not to put our trust in how we can earn it or how we can keep it, but putting our trust in what God has already done. Salvation is the work of God, not of human beings. So when you start to become unsure don't ask yourself, have I been good enough? Ask yourself, have I believed? Have I truly turned to Christ? Have I given my life over to God? And if the answer is yes, then know and understand that despite the evil and frustration around you, you belong to God. Even in your darkest hour, even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. The authors of the scripture knew and understood this and they lived it. And of course, as did our Lord. They knew it. Remember, the measure of your closeness to God is not revealed by your emotions and how you feel at a particular time or by your circumstances, how good life is, but rather in your obedience and in your faith. So may we live by faith. 
May we submit ourselves to God and walk in holiness no matter what is going on. And may we always know to whom we belong. And may the Holy Spirit bear that witness to ourselves so that we can go, therefore, and bear it to others. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray for my friends here this morning, Lord, who for one reason or another, God, today are wrestling with those issues, who feel left out of your promises, God, or are struggling with understanding whether they even fit into it, God. I pray, Lord, that you begin that transforming work. I pray that when you look at us, Lord, you would find people who have faith in you, and Lord, that you would call us into that place where our belief in you sustains us, and empowers us, and ultimately transforms us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may that be true for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.